Hello, you've reached the shop of Dr. Chop. I'm not here right now. I'm out killing cancer. If you want to reach me or you need a procedure, I don't care because I'm not here. But if you need a procedure within the next few days, I can have it done for you or maybe not. I don't care what the lesion is. Every excision comes with 5 centimeter margins and the 2 all suture. If you want the complex closure, shut up. If you want the bilobe flap, what the hell is the bilobe flap anyway? Shut up with the bilobe. So, leave your name, number, the size of your lesion. You come over, maybe I give you an excision, maybe I chop off your arm. Welcome to the Gren Zone. Dissecting dermatology differently. Here is your host, Dr. Logan Kolb. Welcome back for another episode in a fresh new season of the Gren Zone podcast. I am so grateful that you've all found this podcast, and I again want to thank you all for listening in. We're going to start this second season by taking a break from the reaction patterns for a handful of episodes so that we can touch on some bread and butter dermatology topics. We'll eventually be going into the vascular reaction pattern, which includes conditions like vasculitis and Stevens-Johnson syndrome. However, I didn't have it in me to cover these more complicated topics before we discuss more of the basics. Today, we will have a great discussion on basal cell carcinomas, aka BCCs, which is the most common skin cancer in humans. Although it is unlikely that a person will die from basal cell carcinoma, it can cause considerable morbidity since it affects around 2 million Americans each year and has an estimated lifetime incidence between 20 to 30% for Caucasian Americans. So, we're going to kick things off with a great episode on BCCs with the help of one of our new attendings, Dr. Chop. Why are you looking at me? What are you doing here? Before we start, I'll mention our disclaimer, that this episode is meant for educational and informational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, nor does this episode represent the views of Orange Park Medical Center, Olmstead Medical Center, or their affiliates. So let's begin with the etiology and risk factors for BCCs. One of the more significant risk factors is going to be a person's skin type. In general, the fairer you are, the more likely you are to get a basal cell. And as we all know, UV exposure from the sun plays a critical role as well. However, the type of sun exposure seems to differ between BCCs and the second most common skin cancer, squamous cell carcinomas. SCCs are associated with more chronic sun exposure, like many of our patients here in Florida. On the other hand, basal cell carcinomas are more associated with strong, intermittent sun exposure, like my peeps in my homeland of Minnesota taking advantage of the summer sun when it comes around. So certainly, there are exceptions to this rule all of the time, but in general, remember, BCCs correlate with more intermittent sun exposure, SCCs more with chronic sun exposure. As you'd expect, the incidence of BCC goes up as you age as well. However, women are more likely than men to get basal cell and squamous cell carcinomas before the age of 40. And lastly, don't forget immunosuppression also increases the risk for basal cell carcinomas, just not to the extent that it increases the risk for squamous cell carcinomas. Oh look, the baby medical student found the basal cell. Now tell me what the patient will be complaining about. If you don't know the answer, go back to the 7th grade. No! 
I'm actually in the 24th grade now, but whatever. So patients with BCC will often describe their BCC as a pimple that doesn't go away. They may also mention that the lesion bleeds easily, often after shaving or even with minimal trauma. Lesions may also uncommonly be pruritic, so don't let that throw you off as well. Don't just say basil, tell me what kind. You drive a car? What kind of car? A Chevy or a Lamborghini? So what are the types of basils out there? Which ones are more aggressive, like me? No matter what your role is in a dermatology clinic, you need to know the different subtypes of basal cell carcinomas because you will be discussing these pathology reports with patients every single day and coming up with treatment plans. So, the four main clinical subtypes of BCC include nodular, superficial, morpheiform, and fibroepithelial. Again, the four main clinical subtypes of BCC include nodular BCC, superficial, morpheiform, and fibroepithelial BCCs. Any of these types can have pigment as well, for which we call them pigmented BCCs. We'll start by going over the basics of these before we discuss other histologic BCC subtypes. So first we have nodular BCC, which is the most common subtype at 50 to 80% of BCCs and probably represents what most people think about when they hear the term basal cell. They present as a smooth, shiny papule or nodule that characteristically has arborizing vessels, a rolled border, and that same pearly shine. On PATH, nodular basal cell carcinomas show the classic features of blue islands of cells in the dermis that have three other key components to remember. One, peripheral palisading. Two, retraction artifact. And three, fibromyxoid stroma. Again, pathology of nodular BCCs will show blue islands in the dermis that exhibit one, peripheral palisading. Two, retraction artifact. And three, fibromyxoid stroma. So let's go off in a little tangent on these since some of the features will be present in other subtypes that we'll discuss. Peripheral palisading means the outermost cells in these blue islands line up along the periphery. Retraction artifact refers to a clear space between the tumor islands and the surrounding stroma. For the residents and attendings listening in, remember that this tumor-stroma retraction is different from the stroma-stroma artifact or separation that is seen with trichoepitheliomas and trichoblastomas. And for everyone listening, don't forget that stroma simply refers to supportive tissue, which can be normal connective tissue or the tissue surrounding cancer. So speaking of stroma, remember that BCCs usually have a fibromyxoid stroma, which has more of a blue-gray mucinous color to it compared to the pink color of normal collagen. So again, for nodular BCCs, think of blue islands that have one, peripheral palisading, two, retraction artifact, and three, a fibromyxoid stroma. When it comes to nodular BCCs, we have to be able to differentiate them from its challenging mimickers, including intradermal nevi or angiofibromas, aka fibrous papules. Both intradermal nevi and fibrous papules present as papules on the face with overlying blood vessels. However, intradermal nevi will have a softer texture and often have a history of being present for many years without changing. Angiofibromas will also reach a stable size and will typically not have the fine arborizing telangiectasias that we see on dermoscopy of basal cell carcinomas. 
So the next most common subtype we have are superficial BCCs, which make up around 10 to 30% of cases. Superficial basal cell carcinomas typically present on the trunk or extremities as an erythematous macule or patch that may have a subtle scale or crust. So again, superficial BCCs present as an erythematous macule or patch, usually on the trunk or extremity, and may have a subtle scale or crust. They can look very similar to a benign sunspot that we call benign lichenoid keratoses, aka lichen planus-like keratosis. However, a nice pearl is that BCCs will have more of a pearly shine to them after you wipe them with alcohol and stretch the skin under good lighting. The superficial BCCs can also be overlooked as a patch of eczema and go undiagnosed for years, so get a good exam with your dermatoscope and pay attention if the patient tells you the patch isn't responding to typical eczema treatments. Doc, I tell you, that salve ain't doing a darn thing for my eczema. That eczema's all over me like flies on a dung heap. There ain't no cream in the world that's gonna clear this one up, Doc. As far as pathology goes, superficial BCCs will show blue buds coming from the epidermis that don't go any deeper than the papillary dermis. Recall that the papillary dermis is the top layer of the dermis that goes down to the subpapillary plexus. These superficial BCCs can simply look like the basal layer is a little bit darker blue and has a little white space or retraction underneath. Superficial basils grow in almost a net-like fashion, which can look like skip areas in 2D on path, which is why they can be a little trickier to treat at times. Stop waving that stupid light around like Inspector Gadget and look with your eyes. There's a two-centimeter basal cell on the patient's nose. The next two subtypes that we'll discuss together include morpheiform and infiltrative basal cell carcinomas. Both have an indurated, scar-like appearance clinically, however there are subtle differences on path that we'll discuss in just a bit. Morpheiform BCCs are the most locally aggressive of the clinical BCC subtypes, and they have been known to have up to 7 millimeters of subclinical spread meaning that 7 millimeters of the totally normal appearing skin around the lesion still has BCC, even though that skin looks completely normal. When it comes to pathology of morpheiform or infiltrative BCCs, both will show strands of tumor cells in a jagged pattern that taper until they are one cell thick, so they can look like little jagged basal cell knives cutting down in the dermis. That's not a knife. I will show you a knife. Oh wait, that is the crocodile man who says that. <laughs> Both morpheiform and infiltrative BCCs typically lack the peripheral palisade and the retraction artifact, so look for that knife-like look to the tumor islands. The subtle difference between the two is that infiltrative BCCs have more of a myxoid stroma, while morpheiform has more of a pink desmoplastic scar-like stroma. So, that covers nodular, superficial, and morpheiform BCC subtypes. Next, we have the fibroepithelial basal cell carcinoma, traditionally known as fibroepithelioma of pincus. They are classically found on the low back as a very slow-growing, raised, pedunculated, fleshy nodule that is often mistaken for a skin tag. This appearance is what earned them the traditional name of fibroepithelioma. On path, this one is very distinct, where you'll see a papule that has thin, thin strands of blue cells that interconnect and form almost a web. 
Fibroepitheliomas of pancus also often have less peripheral palisading and less retraction than other BCCs, making them a little harder to identify at first glance. But fortunately, the interconnected strands in the fibroepithelial variant are surrounded by a fibromyxoid stroma, so that's a nice clue to look for on PATH. So again, the four clinical subtypes of BCCs that we just discussed are nodular, superficial, morpheiform, and fibroepithelial BCCs. Next, we'll go into a few other BCC subtypes that have a more classic look on PATH than what they do clinically. These include micronodular, infundibulocystic, and basosquamous basal cell carcinomas. So we'll run through these quickly. We'll start with micronodular BCCs, which clinically look like an erythematous macule, papule, or plaque. On PATH, micronodular BCCs consist of small blue islands of BCC with subtle palisading and retraction artifact. Like morpheiform BCCs, these micronodular BCCs can have subclinical extension that results in lower cure rates. With a 17-centimeter margin, there is always a cure. Next, we have infundibulocystic BCCs, which present as a pearly papule on the head and neck. Pathology of infundibulocystic BCCs show anastomosing pink strands and blue basal buds with horn cyst intermixed in. Horn cysts are pink swirls of keratin that we classically think of being associated with benign seborrheic keratoses. However, horn cysts can be present in a variety of benign and malignant growths like infundibulocystic BCCs. And then, like I mentioned, SKs, so don't automatically call it an SK when you see a horn cyst on path. Then last, but certainly not least, we have the basosquamous carcinoma. These lesions are less specific clinically, but have features of, you guessed it, both basal cell and squamous cell carcinoma. The concerning issue is that basosquamous carcinomas can often behave more like SCC and have a higher likelihood of metastases. The likelihood of metastases for BCCs in general is extremely uncommon at less than 1 in 20,000 cases. However, some estimate that basosquamous carcinomas metastasize in over 5% of cases. So, to quick sum up those subtypes of basal cell carcinoma once again, we have those with classic clinical and histologic findings including superficial, nodular, morpheiform, and fibroepithelioma of pincus. Then don't forget the three subtypes with characteristic histology, which includes micronodular, infundibulocystic, and basosquamous BCCs. Up to 40% of basal cells will have two or more of these subtypes, with the most common pairing being nodular with micronodular BCC. Welcome to the Stratum Basale, New York's premier neoplastic dining experience. Tonight's specials include a proprietary pairing of nodular and micronodular basal cell carcinoma. In the end, knowing the different types of BCC is super important because they behave very differently, and we treat them very differently. The more aggressive morpheiform and micronodular BCCs justify Mohs micrographic surgery to achieve a higher cure rate. Superficial BCCs don't go deep into the dermis, so depending on their location, they can typically be treated with topical chemotherapy creams or with an electrodesiccation and curettage, aka EDNC, where we numb the lesion, scrape it with a curette, and burn it with a hyphricator. Okay, hold on, hold on. Tell me more about the treatment. 
The treatment of basal cell carcinomas is based on numerous factors such as the size or subtype of the tumor, the tumor location, whether it is recurrent or not, and a variety of patient characteristics such as age, immunocompromised status, or if they have a genetic BCC syndrome. Some of these syndromes associated with basal cell carcinomas that I'll briefly mention include oculocutaneous albinism, xeroderma pigmentosum, basal cell nevus syndrome, aka Gorland syndrome, Basex dupree crystal syndrome, and Rombo syndrome. We'll discuss Gorland syndrome later in the episode. So getting back to BCC treatments, when it comes to choosing treatment, the combination of various worrisome features or lack thereof will help the patient and their provider decide on the best treatment option. So let's start by laying out a menu of BCC treatments to choose from. I don't want the menu. I want the steak and I want it now. Treatment options for basal cell carcinomas include cryosurgery, EDNCs, topical amiquimod or 5-fluorouracil, wide local excision, Mohs micrographic surgery, radiation therapy, and intralesional or systemic chemotherapies. You need to know the advantages and disadvantages of each of these like the back of your hand because your patients and attendings will want to know. So let's touch on some of these basics. Cryosurgery using liquid nitrogen is a fast, simple treatment that is often reserved for tiny, tiny lesions or for patients with many comorbidities that cannot tolerate surgery. However, the use of cryosurgery is very provider-dependent, so I'll just leave it at that. Next, we have the topical chemotherapies amiquimod and 5-fluorouracil. These treatments are typically used for superficial BCCs, with 5-FU having a cure rate of around 70%, while amiquimod is around 80% for these superficial BCCs after 6-8 to eight weeks of treatment. Since amiquimod has a better cure rate, it is more commonly used. Amiquimod works by activating toll-like receptor 7, which activates the immune system to target and destroy the BCC. A couple disadvantages to amiquimod are the prolonged treatment course and the irritation that it causes, along with not being able to get pathological confirmation that the cancer is cured. However, with a compliant patient and good follow-up, amiquimod can offer great cure rates and great cosmetic results in the end. Enough with the creams. Tell me about the cutting. The next treatment option is electrodesiccation and curatage, aka EDNC, where we scrape and burn the lesion. Its advantages include being a quick and easy five-minute office procedure with no stitches and less downtime for the patient. EDNCs are great for superficial BCCs in areas where the skin is really tight and it would be hard to stitch together. However, they aren't typically done on the scalp because the BCCs can track deeper down the hair follicles where the EDNC can't reach unless you're digging for gold. When done correctly, the cure rate for EDNCs are excellent in the low 90s. A disadvantage is the resultant coin-shaped scar often with significant hypopigmentation, so you would generally want to avoid EDNCs in a cosmetically sensitive area like the face. And like topical amiquimod, you are not able to get pathologic confirmation that the cancer has been adequately treated when you do an EDNC. And speaking of pathologic confirmation, wide local excision refers to cutting out the lesion in an ellipse pattern with a standard 4mm margin and putting in bottom and top sutures. The advantage to wide local excisions are that they have great cosmesis if done well, and a better cure rate of around 95% or above, 
and you get pathologic confirmation of clear margins. Disadvantages to excision include the longer procedure time and the physical limitations that patients must follow until the sutures are removed. And then we have Mohs Micrographic Surgery, spelled M-O-H-S, and named after Frederick Mohs, who developed the technique in the late 1930s when he was just a medical student at the University of Wisconsin. Mohs surgery refers to the process where the lesion is cut out with a narrow margin, processed with frozen section, and turned into a microscope slide for the Mohs surgeon to read themselves to ensure complete tumor removal. If there is a positive margin, the Mohs surgeon goes back to the positive margin on the patient to remove another piece of tissue and starts the process once again until the tumor is completely cleared. At that point, the wound is left to heal by secondary intention or closed using a variety of primary closures, flaps, or grafts. Advantages to Mohs include having the best cure rates for BCCs with a 99% cure rate for primary lesions and around 94% cure rate for recurrent lesions. Disadvantages of Mohs include requirement of a lab and a skilled histotechnician for processing the tissue and a higher cost and time requirement for the procedure itself. I came to America for one reason, to bring the guts to dermatology. I can cut it out in no time. So that's what we've got for surgical approaches to BCCs. In order to understand the chemotherapies for advanced or diffuse lesions, we have to discuss more of the pathogenesis of BCCs. Two important genes commonly mutated in basal cell carcinomas include P53 and PTCH1, commonly called PATCH1. P53 is often called the guardian of the genome because it responds to DNA damage by regulating the cell cycle, DNA repair, and if the DNA damage is too severe, it starts the process of apoptosis to kill the cell. Now, the second important gene involved with BCCs is PATCH1, which encodes the patched protein. PATCH is involved in the hedgehog pathway for development and cell proliferation. Like P53, patched is the tumor suppressor, so it puts the brakes on the cell cycle. I like to remember that patched is a tumor suppressor by remembering patched patches things up. Tell me about the sonic hedgehog pathway, and I'm not talking about that stupid blue rodent that is running all over your TV screen! Now, we have to hike into the weeds just a little bit and discuss this patched pathway, because it's super important for boards and for understanding certain BCC treatments and its syndromes. If you Google search patch in the BCC sonic hedgehog pathway, you'll find some great pics to follow along with what I'm about to describe. So bear with me on this next part, I'll walk through it multiple times for everyone. The four players in this pathway to know are sonic hedgehog ligand, the patch receptor, smoothened, and GLI, or glee. Under normal, non-cancerous conditions, the patch receptor, which remembers a tumor suppressor, is not bound to its sonic hedgehog ligand and is blocking the smoothened protein. Smoothened is an oncogene that wants to turn on gene transcription via GLI. Again, under normal conditions, the patch receptor, which acts as the brakes, is unbound and is blocking the smoothened protein that wants to turn on gene transcription via GLI. Then one of two things happens. Either sonic hedgehog binds and turns off patch, or patch is mutated, which occurs in around a third of BCCs. So what happens when patch, the tumor suppressor, is turned off? The cell loses its breaks, smoothened is then free to activate glee transcription factors, and this leads to excessive cellular growth and basal cell cancer. 
BCCs can also occur due to activating mutations in smoothened, which remember, activates cell cycle progression through glee. If you didn't get all that, don't sweat it, but let's sum it up one last time. The four players in this pathway, in order, are sonic hedgehog ligand, the patch receptor, smoothened, and glee. Under normal conditions, patch is unbound and block smoothened. In basal cell carcinomas, patch becomes mutated, so the cell loses its breaks, which then allows smoothened to activate glee transcription factors, and this leads to cellular growth and cancer. So if you didn't get that, no worries, but let's try it one last time with a fun, weird little analogy, courtesy of my co-resident, Dr. Harwood. So smoothened protein is the smooth, good-looking guy who just got over a bad breakup and he has always wanted to hook up with Glee. So if smoothened and Glee hook up, they're going to progress through the cell cycle and they're going to make a basal cell cancer. So smoothened is out at the bars, has had way too much to drink, and is trying all of his best one-liners while in hot pursuit of Glee. Hey, do you need the Wi-Fi password? Because I'm feeling a strong connection. So Smoothin is trying to hook up with Glee and progress things, but then Patched is Smoothin's friend and is putting the brakes on this whole thing, not gonna let it happen. Then along comes Sonic Hedgehog, who goes up to Patched and starts flirting and binds and grinds. So then Patched can no longer patch up the situation, Smoothin ends up hooking up with Glee, things progress, and voila, you have a baby named Basil, the basal cell carcinoma. Okay, Mr. Nerdy Man. We got Patch and your smoothie and all this weird Humpty Dumpty. Why is all of this important? Like I mentioned, mutations that inactivate the tumor suppressor patch or activate smoothened can lead to the development of regular everyday BCCs. Patched is also mutated in basal cell nevus syndrome, aka Gorlin syndrome, where patients form multiple BCCs and have a variety of other abnormalities, including palmoplantar pits, calcification of the falx cerebri, facial changes including frontal bossing and hypertelorism, and then a variety of bony changes such as cysts of the jaw and bifid ribs. So, what can we do to help patients with basal cell nevus syndrome who have hundreds of BCCs or the guy that walks into the office with a huge basal cell on his cheek that he's been neglecting for five years? Well, hot dog, doc, I thought it was a bug bite. We have Vismotajib, a.k.a. Aravege, and Sinitajib, a.k.a. Odomzo, both of which inhibit smoothened protein and are approved for advanced or metastatic BCCs. An advantage with vismotajib or sinitajib is that they can shrink large tumors that would otherwise require a really extensive surgery. The main disadvantages are with the side effects, which include muscle spasms, taste disturbance, hair loss, and GI changes such as nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, and loss of appetite. And that's what we've got for basal cell carcinomas. I know there was some really dense info in this episode, but re-listen to the tough parts if you need to, and trust me when I say that it's all relevant and important for taking great care of our patients with BCCs. Because this is a relatively longer episode, we'll keep the final summary short and sweet. Basal cell carcinoma is the most common skin cancer in humans and is associated with sun exposure and a lighter skin type. The hedgehog pathway that affects growth and differentiation is a major player. Patched is the tumor suppressor in the pathway and is mutated in basal cell nevus syndrome. Remember, patched patches things up. Smoothened is the oncogene and is targeted by vismotajib and sinitajib. 
The BCC subtypes that we discussed include nodular, superficial, morpheiform, fibroepithelial, micronodular, infundibulocystic, and basosquamous BCCs. Now remember, morpheiform, micronodular, and basosquamous tend to be more aggressive. There are multiple treatment options, and the choice is dependent on the size and type of lesion, the location on the body, the patient's overall health, and the patient's preferences. Currently, the highest cure rate is offered by Mohs surgery, but this treatment is not appropriate for all BCCs. Just cut it out. No! Alright, that does it for today's content on BCCs. I want to end with a little wisdom that can help you all find your grand zone. Learn to say no. This is something that took me a while and it takes practice. Of course we want to be helpful to others and colleagues, but we also need to protect our time here on earth because it is short. Life is a balance though, and sometimes picturing the extremes can help you see the middle ground. If you say yes all the time to taking on projects or bending your own morals to gain someone else's approval, you will become overwhelmed, you'll be out of time, and your relationships, your time for hobbies, and thus your happiness will suffer. You will also become the person that everyone turns to to ask for favors because they know that you say yes. On the other hand, saying no all the time isn't good either because important things will go unfinished and your relationships with colleagues will suffer. So find the balance and learn to say no when your gut is telling you to do so. Alright, thanks for joining today. I want to thank Dr. Sean for his help with the content and Dr. K for not only adding clinical pearls but supporting this podcast from the get-go. I also want to thank Garrett and Dan for their work with editing and post-production, along with our excellent team of students and residents with Dave, Dan, and Sandra, who put together an awesome study guide for each episode that's available at www.grenzonederm.com. And that's with two Zs, grenzonederm.com. If you have any feedback on how we can improve our content, you can contact us through our website or via email at grenzonederm at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media for more helpful mnemonics and quiz questions. Thanks again for listening today. I'm Logan Kolb, and we'll see you next time here in the Grand Zone. This episode is copyright 2020 Pro Podcasting LLC, all rights reserved. The Grand Zone Podcast is a service provided by Pro Podcasting LLC and is not affiliated with any other service providers.